We're going to go now to John chapter 6. We're going to read verses 15 through 21, and then we'll talk about it. So that's on page 891 in the, the Bibles there in uh, the chair backs. If you don't have a Bible, man, we'd love for that to be the, our gift to you. Um, if you want to turn to John chapter 6 and whatever device or your own Bible or that Bible, let's read this together. We'll start in verse 15. We'll read down to 21. Remember, this is following the, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with um, just a little bit of food. Verse 15 says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, gotten into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea be became rough because strong wind was blowing, and when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. They were frightened, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. They were then glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we are indeed grateful that you have given us uh, your word, that we aren't left wondering. Uh, we aren't left with uh, myths and ideas about what could be, but rather your specific revelation, your specific truth that, that tells us who you are, how you... Um, rule and uh, what we are to do in response. And so we, we thank you for that, and we pray that uh, you would, uh, by your spirit, speak through me and through your word this morning to stir our hearts to a people that are more in awe of you, Jesus, and also uh, more trusting of you and, and near to you as we follow you. So um, would you have your way during this time as we approach your word? It's in your name we pray now, Jesus. Amen. Well, this story finds itself interestingly placed. You probably know the story of Jesus walking on water. It's recorded in other Gospels as well. But let's, let's just let John's construction, John's uh, writing here, tell the, the story that, that he wants us to hear. The, the, the way that he has set this up is interesting uh, because you probably do know of the story. But if, you, if you're just reading through, it, it's sort of almost mentioned in passing in the midst of this longer um, explanation. So, you know, we had the miracle last week where Jesus uh, has this crowd of 5,000 men. So, at, you know, at least 10,000, maybe anywhere up around 20,000 by the time you count women and children uh, that have, you know, no food. And Jesus feeds them with, with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And it's this incredible miracle. And then Jesus senses this, this movement of the people. Remember, this is, uh, we're talking about, he's, he's, he's working with, he's teaching, he's performing miracles amongst an oppressed people group, his people group, the Jews, but they are under Roman rule. And so they have long awaited um, a Messiah. And in their understanding, what they um, believe and hope is that the Messiah is going to come and overthrow the Roman rule and reestablish the Jewish um, nation of Israel. And so this is what their lens is, is like. And so they're seeing this crowd that is now following Jesus 
um, intentionally, pursuing him, coming after him, and Jesus doing this incredible work amongst them now has the, the crowd roaring. Like there is a, a palatable buzz. I mean, you just imagine the scene of that many thousands of people um, experiencing this miracle, seeing uh, you know, a small boy's lunch turned into just an abundance of food. So the crowd's buzzing, and Jesus senses that they're going to come and take him by force because they're thinking, okay, this is our moment. We can have an uprising. We can overthrow Roman rule. We have a, a, you know, a mob here. And so Jesus senses that, that they're going to come and take him uh, by force to make him king. Now, that's an interesting thing that uh, most people don't resist, right? Most people are super like, oh, great. Yeah, I'm, sure. Let me, let me just enjoy this praise. But Jesus instead withdraws to the mountain by himself and must have given his disciples um, some instruction to, to get in a boat and meet him on the other side of, of the lake. And so this is, or of the sea. And so th- this is the setting. And John tells the story where they're halfway across the lake, right? The, little, uh, the sea um, is believed to be around seven miles long. And so they're three or four miles in. And, and all of a sudden, you know, there's wind, there's, there's a storm. And they see Jesus just like walking on the water next to him. And, and this is the story that we all know, but it's interesting that it's not given a whole lot of airtime in the gospel. It's not given any explanation, right? Because right after this, we're going to go back to the previous story. Jesus is going to spend a good portion of time in the last part of chapter 6 unpacking the theology and the explanation behind the miracle that he did by giving uh, the, the, the 5,000 people, the food, and talking about his own body and his blood. And so there's a lot of explanation coming for the feeding of the 5,000. There's zero explanation coming for this miracle, this sign, this, this moment of walking on water. And so th- that's an interesting thing, and I think we need to consistently be curious about Jesus and why he does, and, and we need to ask questions of God's word and sit in it. We, just reading things quickly, we lose on so much. And so um, as we see that this is just a few verses, a uh, small paragraph, and then we're back to the, the teaching on, on the water, and even noticing that who is this miracle for? Who is this sign for is interesting too because he doesn't do it in front of the multitudes. He doesn't do it in daylight for everybody to see. This is a, a, a small scale, a targeted miracle for his disciples. And there, there in, in that lies some clues about what Jesus is, is inviting us to see and to trust in about himself. And so I, I first just want to draw a couple of conclusions about the way that Jesus operates his life. And you see this theme all throughout um, the, the Gospels. If you'll take notice of how Jesus operates, and, and that's important to do. We have to have this balance of, of understanding that Jesus didn't simply come to be a sacrifice to pay for our sins. Now, he absolutely did that. Okay? It's not less than that. He absolutely did come to, to give his life to be a sacrifice for us so that we could be saved. But in the midst of that, all tangled up in that, that life that he was going to give to be a sacrifice had to be what? A perfect life. Couldn't be just any life. Couldn't be an okay life. Couldn't be a, a, you know, a good enough life. It had to be a perfect 
life. Otherwise, it would not have been a, an appropriate or sufficient sacrifice to atone for the sins of the world, to offer to a holy God. And so within that, we need to notice that Jesus lived the perfect life for us in our place, and that's absolutely theologically essential and important. But if we will get a little bit more practical, we will also see that in Jesus' perfect life, he is providing for us a model. He's providing us for us a way to live our life, to follow in his, his footsteps to see how life is to be lived because, you know, he's living the perfect life. Again, yes, to be a perfect sacrifice, but also as a living example of this is how life is supposed to be. So I just want you to have that in mind. And as Jesus, we're not going to be able to do all of the things that Jesus did. If you can walk on water, that'll be awesome. But it's not likely. However, the principles, the, the pattern of life, the intentionality that he takes, we absolutely should take note of. So I just want to make a couple notes as we, as we get into this story. And I want you to see that Jesus radically, radically resists the values of the world and the culture in order to radically guard again, or to guard his relationship with God, his holiness and his righteousness. And so you see that even in verse 15, instead of leaning into the popularity and the crowd's desire to make him king, right? That's counterculture right there. But instead of doing that, he withdraws. Okay, so I, I want you to see that right there, that Jesus warns us. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but Jesus warns us against pursuing the praise of man, right? Getting our validation horizontally, looking to other people to, to validate who we are, to give us our identity, to make us feel like we have value and worth, that's dangerous. Proverbs says it's a snare. It doesn't go well. It leads to death. Rather, we look for the, the praise of God. We look for fear of God. That's why the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And wisdom brings life. Wisdom brings, like, things go better when you live wisely. Well, the Proverbs tell us the way to start out living wisely is to check who are you worried about observing your life. Who are you most fearful of when it comes to your actions, what you will do, what you won't do? Who are you most concerned about? Is it people? Is it your peers, young people, is it the people on social media? Is it your friends, the popular kids at school or, or whatever? Uh, you know, old, older folks, we don't get exempt from that. It just matures and looks a little different, doesn't it? But nonetheless, we're worried about what our neighbors will think, what our, what our friends, even our spouse, our family. Like we have this tendency to look external, to look horizontally, if you will, at other people and decide what they value and, and try to gain approval by becoming those things. So many of us uh, own, I, there's, a, there's a quote that I, I didn't look up, but it talks about, hey, man, we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't want to impress people we don't know. And that's true, isn't it? So often we're spending money, we're, we're trying to earn money so we can spend it on stuff that somebody else has told us we should have. We don't even want it, right? Some of y'all are in clothes that aren't comfortable. You don't want to wear them, but you're doing it. Why? You want other people to think well of you, right? And so what is this motivation? So Jesus is, is, is constantly inviting us to be set free from that burden, the chain, the, the slavery of the affirmation and the fear of man. And Jesus models this for us. So we talked about this, but Jesus models this. He consistently looks at crowds, these moments where he could capitalize on a campaign. He could really get some momentum here. And instead... He pulls away. Why? 
because he knows that his life comes from his father. He knows that what's most important is not what people think of him, but rather his relationship with his God, with his father. And so he pulls away to pray on the mountain by himself. There is not a hint of productivity here. There's not a hint of, oh, I got to squeeze more out of this, right? But rather an intentionality to guard what is sacred, to guard what is essential. He radically resists the values of this world and pulls into solitude. So even this miracle of walking on water comes about because Jesus is intentionally getting away from people. Okay, this is what this is what leads to him walking on water. So um, let's just ask that question: Like, how are you fighting against the fear of man in your life? In what ways are you being influenced by the pursuit of validation for others? You need to actually ask that question, and you need to ask it of yourself. And you. You're going to really benefit if you'll ask the people who know you well, your spouse, your kids, uh, your friends. Hey, what, what do you see in me where I might be pursuing the validation of others instead of the Lord? And, and let yourself look in, the, look in the mirror of the scriptures, right? James warns us against just being hearers of the word, but not doing it. He says, that's foolish. That's like somebody that looks in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what they, what they saw. Rather, we let the word of God read us, right, and, and change us. And so ask yourself, ask others that question. How are we being influenced by the pursuit of validation from others? And how can we follow Jesus' example of radically pursuing God and the fear of God rather than others? And then uh, secondly, instead of capitalizing on the productivity and the necessity of the moment, right, he pulls away for time with God. So listen, if, you, if you've been around church at any length or, uh, you know, or you know about Christianity from the, uh, living our Bible Belt culture, you, you know that, that, that God's people are supposed to spend time in the Word and in prayer, right? This is not a shocker to anybody that's been around church for any season, but man, it is a challenge. It is an uphill battle. It is a constant struggle for God's people to find time, it seems, or to make time or to just spend time with God in prayer and with His Word, right? It, there are so many things demanding of our time, aren't there? So many things. I mean, I know, like trying to set up meetings with you guys or you know, follow up with people, like people are busy trying to get, you know, events scheduled or groups, like people are busy. We're busier than we ever have been and I don't know that we're doing any more than we ever have. Like, you know what I mean? We're doing a lot of stuff, but are we accomplishing much? Like we're, we're running from thing to thing. There's all of these pressures, all of these demands and I just want to submit to you that Jesus had a bigger to-do list than you do. You think a lot of people are relying on you? He's got 5,000 plus coming at him. Because guess what? He ain't the only one, his disciples aren't the only one with a boat. Just because they're going across the, the, the sea doesn't mean that they're free from these people. Many of them get in boats and follow him. So th- like he has people demanding, asking of him, and yet... In the midst of that, and listen, his mission, I will submit to you, slightly more important than yours. Okay, he's come to save the world and all that stuff, you know? He's got stuff to do. And yet, what does he do? Pulls away to get alone. He goes up into the mountain. Right? His, his campaign manager is telling him, no, no, we got to get to the next thing. There's people waiting for you. You got to capitalize on this. No, no, he's going to the mountain. 
by himself. So this is intentional, and I want you to let that matter, and I want you to be bold enough to follow Jesus' example and set aside time. If you are too busy to be with the Lord, if you are too busy to open his word, to pray, to come to church, to come to group, then you need to reevaluate your schedule. You need to change what is on your schedule. You need to get rid of some things because it, it, like, I don't care what it is, it is not so important that you should miss your time with the Lord. That could even mean like getting a new job. Like as bold as that, if it keeps you from being with the Lord, you need to be willing to sacrifice that on the altar of worship to the thing, to the God who will never let you down and will, who will reward you for all of eternity rather than sacrificing your relationship with the eternal God on the altar of some material pursuit. Okay, So we need to be serious. We need to be radical about that. And Jesus gives us a pattern. He gives us an example for that. So let's just note that. And now let's go into the deeper meaning of this um, of, of this miracle. So when evening come, verse 16, his disciples were, went out to the sea. They got in a boat. They started across to Capernaum. It's dark. Jesus hasn't come to them yet. So we don't know exactly what he's told us. Some of the other gospels fill in some of those blanks. But he, you know, he, he gives them, you know, hey, go. I'll meet you wherever. We don't know. But he says, hasn't come to them yet. So the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And so those of you that, you know, have been out in an open sea or water whenever it starts white capping, it start, the wind starts blowing. That's when you get nervous, especially in a small vessel. And it all, you know, um, signs would say, hey, these guys are in a pretty small boat. And so they're out in the middle. They've rowed three or four miles. They're roughly halfway um, in, the, in the middle of the sea. And here they are. And they're dealing with the wind. They're, you know, many of these guys are fishermen, so they're not you're not unfamiliar with this, but in the midst of this, it's crazy how, how much in passing John says this. But when they, they rode three or four miles, they see Jesus. What is he doing? Is he caught a ride? Is he on somebody else's boat? Called an Uber, told him to book it. He caught up, like, hey guys, I'm here. You know, no, he's walking. Walking. Not like floating, you know. I don't know what else he would be doing. He's not on a rope. He's not like buzzing over in a helicopter. No, he's walking on the sea. Like, again, you've read this. You know this is a story, but I need you to feel the weight of this physical miracle. People try to explain this away, right? Oh, there was rocks there probably, or, or the, the, the word just means around the sea. They could probably just see him on the bank. Well, no, no, because the other gospel writers tell us there's, you know, Peter gets out of the boat with with Jesus, and he sinks, and so there's not rocks, there's not, he's not walking around. This is him walking on the sea, defying the physical nature of the world that you and I have to submit to. doesn't matter how much you like it or not. Gravity's a real thing. Physics is a real thing. You can't walk on water, right? But Jesus is above all of that, and he's walking. He's walking on the sea, and he's coming near their boat. Now, what is their reaction Again, we know these stories, so we're like, oh, this is cool. This is the one where Jesus walks on water. But you need to put yourself there and think about if you're in that moment, and it's dark, and it's storming, and you haven't seen Jesus, he ain't in the boat, and all of a sudden he's walking towards you. The natural reaction is exactly what they had. Oh, crap. What's this? 
Now we're not scared of the storm. I don't know what to make of this. They're frightened. They freak out, rightfully so. Again, you know the story. You're too familiar with it. Put yourself in their position. It's going to cause you to like, oh, snap, I don't know what to make of this. And that's exactly what they do. They are frightened. And Jesus says, hey, it's I. It is I. That could be translated very similar language to I am. It is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So this is, this is the words from Jesus. It's very straightforward. It's very intentional. And it's very brief in John's telling. And then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately, this is interesting too, the boat was at land to which they were going. So remember, they're like halfway in the middle of the sea. Jesus shows up, tells them not to be afraid. He comes into the boat, and then they're there. So there's miracles defi like defying the laws of nature in terms of Jesus walking on water. He's defying the laws of, of time and, and, and just everything. Jesus is trumping and just showing his sovereign power over the things that you and I have to submit to. It doesn't matter if we like our time, our, our travel, and how long it takes, and our commute. How many, how many of you have been in a car with a kiddo, and they're like, why can't we just be there, right? And you're like, I, I know. I know. I feel like... Trust me, kid, I want to be there worse than you are, than you do, because you haven't asked, stopped asking me that since we pulled out of the driveway. And you're like, yeah, I'd wish. That would be great if we could just be there. But you can't. You have to drive it, right? You have to ride it. You have to stay in the plane. You have to do whatever it is, because you can't override the laws of physics and nature and all those things. But Jesus does. And so what, what is this about? And, and then it just says that, and they were there, and John's going to go right into the, the story about him teaching the crowd the next day. There's a slight note, verse 22, that people go, hey, well, how did Jesus get here? Like, they start counting boats, and they're like, did you give Jesus a ride? No. Did you give Jesus a ride? Well, how did he, how'd he get here? So there's a little bit of note. Like, people are wondering, but there's no explanation. There's no elaboration. It's just simply, this is what happened. So here's, I want to submit to you uh, perhaps some of what Jesus is doing in this story. And part of it is a continued um, confirmation of Jesus being the greater Moses, right? So we've talked about how, you know, God's people have gathered, and the Passover is near. The Passover is the, the Jewish people's holiday where they gather and remember God getting them out of Egypt and establishing them as a nation. Not unlike our July 4th where we, we celebrate that moment. For them, this is something they've remembered every year. They come together. And so this is a Passover deal. Jesus uh, is, is reenacting so much of what the people know to be true. Why? Because everything that God did in the Old Testament was with intentionality to point to something that he was going to do in Jesus. Everything that happened in the Old Testament, all of the stories, all of the miracles, all of the prophets, they are all pointing us to Jesus. And Jesus is here, and he starts saying things like, okay, everything the prophets have said, that's now happening in your midst. And so he is reenacting so much of what they know about the Exodus story of God rescuing his people from slavery and bringing them into a life of promise and freedom and goodness. And Jesus is saying what God, what, what Yahweh did in the Old Testament with his people in the book of Exodus is, is what I'm going to do with you all on a deeper level. God 
brought his people out of slavery to Egypt and into their own promised land. I'm here to bring you out of slavery to sin and to death. Egypt was one thing, but Egypt could only have bearing on their physical life and on the material prosperity. But Jesus says you have a greater enemy. You have a greater need beyond just freedom from Roman oppression. You have a greater need. That need lies in your soul. That need lies in your slavery to sin, your pursuit of validation from other people, your pursuit of pleasure, all of these things that have got you pinned down and weighted down and you can't stand before a holy God. You have no freedom. You have no joy because you're weighted down by sin. Jesus says, that's what I'm coming for. Egypt had nothing on sin and death, and I've come to take out them. And so Jesus is showing, I am the greater Moses. I am the one that Moses told you would come. And so part of that is displayed by him giving food to the people. So you know in, in the Exodus story, they get them out of Egypt, and then they all get in the desert, and they go, um, who brought food for a few hundred thousand people? So they start to freak out. God gives them manna from heaven. Right? This is a sustaining thing. God, it's practical. He has to meet their needs, but he's also forming and shaping them as a people. As they're being birthed and developed into a people, God is very clearly showing up to say, I will meet your needs. You don't think about all that is happening when a baby is born. Uh, Derek and Molly Borm gave birth to the, their, their twin girls yesterday, sometime. I don't know. I got pictures this morning. They're super cute. So we got a lot of babies now, so we just got to pray for them all the time and help them out as much as we can. We got a lot of babies. Right now, guess what? Those little baby girls have no way to voice their need except crying. They cry, they wiggle, they squirm. Why? Well, they're hungry. They poop themselves. They're cold. Right? They just need comfort. What? So what happens? They speak up. Molly and Derek come in and meet that need. They speak up, they cry, but need is met. Need is, need is expressed, need is met. Need is expressed, need is met. This is what happens in development, and it forms an attachment. It forms security. It forms goodness, relationship, trust. God is doing the same thing when he's bringing people out of Egypt. He's saying, okay, you noticed your need. You're hungry. You're grumbling. You're crying. I got you. Here's some manna. What about tomorrow? I got you. Just cry, I got you. It'll be there then. What about water? Ah, I'm glad you asked. I've got this rock. They're like, mm, I don't know. I asked for water. He's like, no, go ahead, watch it. It gets water out of a rock. What about meat? Ah, glad you asked. Let me get you some quail, right? He goes on over and over to meet his people's needs. Why? Because he's forming this security, this attachment. He says, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. It's not merely transactional. This is relational. He's forming in them a trust. Jesus comes along and says, hey, I'm going to get you out of slavery to sin. I'm going to get you out of death. I'm going to get you into life abundant. But you're going to need to trust me. You're going to have needs. You're going to wonder how they're going to be met. And I want you to know that you can trust me. So he starts doing these incredible miracles that defy all you know, there's no explanation. How are we going to feed all these people? Nobody has an idea. Jesus says, okay, let me show you. Right? So here, he's got his, his 12 disciples. And we didn't draw on this application last week. But 
If you remember, after he feeds the 5,000, he sends them out to go collect the leftovers from what was five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, 10 to 20,000 people have eaten all that they want, and they bring back leftovers that are filling up how many baskets? 12. Well, last week we talked about how that, that's tied to the, tw- the 12 tribes of Israel. God is saying, I got my people, I got you. But guess what else there's 12 of? The disciples. There's 12 of them. And they're probably the ones counting it. They're the ones putting that connection in more than the broader audience. They're the ones seeing, oh. So now, here they are. They're out on the sea. It gets rough. Jesus shows up on the water. Okay, if you look close, how did, how did God get his people out of Egypt? He had to part the Red Sea, didn't he? Was that just like a, a planning error on God's part? He forget to calculate, oh, I should have had you guys go the other way, and then we could go around. Mm, Red Sea, oh, I'm going to have to improvise. What can I do? I could part it. That'll be cool. That'll be a good story. No, God intentionally brings them to this place. Why? So he can flex and show them, I got you. I got you. Water, not a thing. I got it. Jesus shows up. Hey, you're terrified? This boat's about to be overturned? Water, not a thing. Back in the day, I parted the Red Sea for for the Israelites. Today, I'm just going to walk over it. And I want you to see that I'm the one that you can trust in life storms. I want you to see that I'm the one that you can trust when you have no plan, you have no ability. When you're at the mercy of what's happening in the world, I want you to trust me. So Jesus shows up walking on water. It's incredible. It's an incredible display of just the incarnation because not only does he walk on water, not only does he just flex his incredible power. Remember, John has told us, this is the guy who like created the universe and all that. Remember, the one who flung the planets into existence, the one who, who created all the stars, the things that baffle our modern technology. The more technology we get in, in telescopes and cameras, the more we see and the more we're just baffled. That guy, the one who created all of that, his name's Jesus, he's our God, and here he is displaying that he's, he can walk on water. They're in awe. They're also a little scared, which is the right posture before God. A healthy fear. But then, Jesus doesn't just wave. What's up, boys? See you all over there. Right? That's what I would have done. Like, this is awesome. Somebody get your phone out, right? No. He sees him. They see him coming toward him. What does he do? He gets on the boat with him. Why? Maybe he's tired. I don't know what walking on water does to your legs. It seems hard. No. Does he need to? No. He gets on the boat with him. With them. Not inside of everybody else. Not for more notoriety. Not to up his views and his likes and his clicks and his followers. But for them. Gets on the boat with him, walks on water. They're scared. He says, hey, I am. Remember, it's me. Just a, I, I just made like food for 
multiple thousands of people out of little guy's lunch, like, it's me, I got you. And he comes to them, right, doesn't note about the wind and the waves stopping, it just says that he comes, and they're glad to take him into the boat, right, there's joy, there's, there's this fear, like, like, there's this, man, that's our Jesus, that's who we're following, and, and he's coming onto our boat, like, yeah, yeah, come on the boat, Jesus, and, and immediately the boat was at the land to where they were going. What is, what is up with that? Here's what I think Jesus is showing them, is listen, as you're pouring out your life, disciples, listen, they've had questions. What about this, Jesus? It seems like we're leaving a lot behind. What about this, Jesus? It seems like we're, we're not really making a plan for our 401k here, Jesus. I, I don't know. There's not a lot of income coming in for this ministry, Jesus. What about this? If we leave this, and Jesus goes, I promise you, Whatever you've given up for my name's sake, it'll be paid back in, 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 in spades. Like in full, in full, you'll, you'll get it all back, right? Jesus is showing, hey, as you're pouring yourself out for my kingdom, my name's sake, I've got more than enough for you. Twelve baskets full. I've got you. Don't be afraid to radically give yourself in my name because I've got you. I got you. I'll never run out. My pockets are deep. We just keep doing this thing. I'm inviting you to greater faith. I'm inviting you to see things beyond what you imagine that you would see. And then he says, hey, and when the storms come, I got you then too. I've got you. And he, he comes to them. He doesn't have to, but he does. He gets on their boat. This is the incarnation on full display. This is the God of the universe who created everything that we know, holds the galaxies together, who's responsible for the provision, the, the food that you enjoy, the growth, all of that, that's Jesus. And yet, he steps into our mess. He enters into our world. That's what Emmanuel need. He's, means. He's God with us. He's come to dwell with us, and he comes, and he's there in the midst of this terrifying storm. He's showing complete authority over it, so much so that it scares them but in that, in that moment of recognizing who he is, he comes and gets on their boat. And they meet him with gladness and joy. They're, they're overwhelmed. I can't imagine what they're experiencing. But then they notice something. They no longer have another three miles to row. They're there. Now, is Jesus just showing, hey, like guys, like got this awesome transportation package from the Holy Spirit. It's really cool. Cuts down a lot of time. No. Think what he's showing us is, listen, the whole point of the incarnation, the whole point of Jesus coming near is that he is our destination. His presence is that's what we need. That's what we're longing for. We think that we need this or that in this life. We think we need life to go a certain way. And so we'll call on Jesus to maybe, you know, run some errands for us, like a genie in a bottle. When we need him, we'll, we'll call and, hey, Jesus, could you work this thing out? Because that's where I want to go, and I, I don't have a way to get there, so could you, you know, help? Jesus is no, no, no. Like, when I show up, nothing else matters. Whatever's going on in your life, is going to be transcended by my presence. And my presence is actually the thing that your heart longs for, the thing that you need. That's actually the whole movement of the scriptures. Is it's not about the garden-like state as far as the flourishing and the it's it's about the presence of God with his people. And this is what he's come to restore. 
So Jesus is saying, yeah, when, when I have arrived, when you have met me, when I am with you, this is when David's psalm about the Lord being our shepherd makes sense, right? Because we're going to walk through valleys, aren't we? We're going to walk through the, the, the shadow of death. We're going to have people attacking us. We're going to have questions. We're going to have fears. And he doesn't say, hey, come to me and I'll, I'll, I'll help you avoid all of that. He says, no, no, I'm going to come be with you in that. And, G, and David says, though I'm walking through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you got me. I'm with you. You're my shepherd. You Cause me to lie down in, in green pastures and beside still waters. This is our God. He, he does that kind of work in the midst of a chaotic world. He transcends the chaos of this world. And if you will let him, he's not going to fix the chaos of, the, of your world necessarily, but he will come and be with you in your chaos. And his presence, his presence is actually your destination. It's your heart's greatest Longing. It is the thing the woman at the well was searching for. That Jesus says, hey, you keep coming back here, you're just going to thirst again. Right? It's the thing that the man actually needed to heal his broken body. It's Jesus' presence. It's, this is what he's going to begin to unpack for the people who are just showing back up for the miracle of more food. He's going to say, what you actually need is my presence. It's me. So we don't get to use Jesus to accomplish what we want in life. But man, Jesus has come to give us himself. And when he steps on, there's so much comfort. You ever just, you ever make friends with like a, a bigger, battered dude, and then you're really glad that he's on your team? Right? You ever have that guy? I, we had this, this kid, he failed one grade, but then he was just big. So he, he was a year older than us, but he was just a big guy, like hit puberty at nine and just kept going. I think in, in eighth grade, I'm not kidding. I was a big kid. I was tall. I was lanky, but he would come up behind me and just pick me up. I'd be going down the hallway and I just not walk. I'm just like, he's big, like man size big. He's quiet, gentle giant. Man, I made friends with that dude. That was my boy, right? Stuff goes down. Jesse just comes lumbering up. All of it quiets down. And nobody want a piece of that guy, right? He single-handedly shuts down any fuss that's happening. I want to be with him. Jesus is the freaking king of kings, man. He's the Lord of lords. He looks at waves and wind and goes, got this. He looks at the, the trials, the troubles of our world and things that bear us down. He goes, I, I got this. You don't have to fear because I'm with you. I'll get on your boat. I'll do life with you. It's awesome. It's awesome. So will you allow yourself to see Jesus for who he is? Not some petty version of him that you believed on that is a genie in the bottle or some you know, uh, you know, heavenly pinata that you can whack and get the stuff that you want to come out. No, no. He is the king of kings, lord of lords. He is the great I am. He will do what he pleases. And yet, when you see him for who he is, you should have fear because you're a sinner that doesn't belong in his presence. And yet, in that moment, you also see a Savior who shed his own blood so that he could come and get on the boat that is your life 
and bring you peace, forgiveness, and cleansing. Will you let him? Will you, will you turn away? You're going you're to turn the boat away so that he can't get to you? Or are you going to gladly welcome him on the boat of your life? Let's pray. God, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by just the richness of your the word that we have, the stories that it tells, the goodness that it displays for, for us as your people are hard to overstate. And so as we come and uh, sing to your name, as we come and respond to, to this incredible miracle that you speak to your people, your disciples, those who have given their lives to you, may we hear this word rightly and may we see that when we've got you, there really is no reason to fear because you are overall sovereign over the laws of physics and time. So you're certainly sovereign over our lives and our mess and our journeys and our fears. The Holy Spirit, come. Apply this truth to each one of our hearts. Give us the courage to respond in faith this morning. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.